Turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Mark, chapter 14. Mark, chapter 14. We're going to begin reading in verse 1, Mark, chapter 14, and verse 1. And the scripture says, After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. And the chief priest and the scribe sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said... Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always." She hath done that, she hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. Question, how will you be remembered? How will you be remembered? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I beg you again this morning for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God that you'll take the truth of the Word of God deep into every heart. If there are any without Christ, may they be convicted of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Father, I pray you'd turn their hearts to the Son of God. I pray for believers today. May we allow the Spirit of God to examine our hearts and our lives and our works. God, do a powerful work upon hearts today. And we'll thank you for every decision that's made for your honor and glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Obviously, by the time we get to Mark chapter 14, it, we are within the last week of Jesus' public ministry. This is also known, of course, as the Passion Week. All of history up to this point has headed toward this time when Jesus would go to the cross of Calvary and would die on Calvary to pay for the sins of the world. The Bible says, and he is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus had prophesied it to his disciples in Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21. He said that he would go to Jerusalem. There he would be slain of the chief priests and scribes and would be raised again three days later. And of course, it was after that that Peter took him and rebuked him. He didn't like that truth. And nevertheless, though, it was necessary that Jesus go to the cross of Calvary to pay our sin debt. Otherwise, we would have no hope of heaven at all. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, Therefore doth my father love me. Because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. 
the scripture had prophesied it. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of man, when God was speaking to the serpent, he said, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. The prophecy of the virgin birth that would come a few thousand years later. In Isaiah chapter 53, 700 years before Jesus Christ was born at Bethlehem, we find the prophecy of the work of Christ. When the Bible says, beginning in verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. In that final week, many events would take place leading to him becoming sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, I personally believe that there were two anointings of Jesus in that final week. I know there are some who claim only one, and I believe they do that because there are some similarities between the two, but there are also some amazing differences. For instance, back in chapter 12 of the book of John, we find Jesus at Bethany, and he's at the household of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and Mary anoints Jesus with ointment at that place. And of course, Judas Iscariot speaks up, and calls it a waste of a very precious ointment there. That's part of the similarities, but then also the differences, because you see in this passage, he is at Bethany, but he's not at the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and it's not the same timing. It's not six days before the Passover. It is the night before the crucifixion. And here at Simon the leper's house this time, a woman, a name comes in and she anoints Jesus with ointment according to what Jesus says for her burying. Now, the other account of this particular anointing is found in Matthew chapter 26 and verses 6 through 13. This is a very important event. Now you say, how do you know that preacher? I know it because Jesus said that this gospel every time that it would be preached, that this would be a, a memorial unto this woman for what she had done. Do you realize that me preaching on this passage this morning in 2022 is a fulfillment of the prophecy made by Jesus Christ that as I preach, again, we are reminded of what this woman did on this particular night. This woman's act of love and devotion, her act of worship, her attitude toward the value as she considered it of Jesus Christ, how powerful that is. For she took what some have considered to be a full year's wage and she poured it out over the Lord Jesus Christ. Not done in the public eye. There is no camera. There's no YouTube where she can become an influencer, not that at all. No internet video to go viral with millions and millions of views. As a matter of fact, had there been an uh, internet video that could go viral back then, I guarantee you a great percentage of the people would have taken the same position as Judas Iscariot to say what a waste of such an expensive ointment. 
and she would have been ridiculed and even hounded, no doubt, by millions of people. Because you see, the world does not understand spiritual values. The world does not understand the value of one's soul. Why is it that at Madison Baptist Church we go to such lengths, not just with soul winning and visitation, but running our buses and all the visitation that has to take place every week of this world in order to get young people to come in on the buses so that they could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and get saved because there is more value in one sinner getting right with God than all the money you could collect together in this entire country. Christ died to save sinners. Now, I believe that because of what Jesus said here, that what's done for God is never forgotten. God keeps a record. You remember in the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor, Jesus tells every one of those churches... I know thy works. He knows everything that goes on at Madison Baptist Church. He knows what you do for the Lord. He knows what you want to do for the Lord, but then don't do. And he keeps a record. He knows what you say you want to do for the Lord, but really have no intention of ever carrying it off. He knows that too. He's God. The reality is God knows everything. And God not only knows what you do, but he knows why you do it. Wish we could say that everybody serves the Lord with a heart of desire to simply serve God. Unfortunately, some serve God to be seen of men. And the fact that other people notice what they're doing, that is their reward, and it ends there. If you think back, of course, to the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, you've got the hall of faith that is mentioned there. By faith, by faith, by faith Enoch, by faith uh, Abraham, by faith Moses, over and over again we read that where God took note. I think one of the more interesting names that are in that list in Hebrews chapter 11 is the name Jacob. Because if you study the scripture, Jacob's life was basically a very, very selfish life. It was a life that was all about himself. And yet it says by faith, Jacob... Now get this, blessed his children. Jacob blessed his children. That's all it says about him in that passage. He blessed his children and he did it by faith. Now that doesn't seem as big a thing as what Abraham did. Doesn't seem anywhere near as big as what Moses did. But you even get to the end of that. It says in verse 34, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. And they did that also by faith. So whether it's a big work, whether it's a small work, or whether it's just being willing to suffer for his name, he takes a record of it and he does not forget it. What this woman did, he says, every time the gospel's preached, it'll be brought to people's remembrance as to what she did. Not seen by a whole lot of folks that day when it took place. But God thought so much of it, he recorded it in the eternal word of the living God. Now that brings to my mind, then how will I be remembered? Is there anything that I have done that's even worthy of remembrance to him? I want you to think about it with your life. How will you be remembered? What are you doing for God? 
How much of your life is dedicated to the Lord? You see, this woman was not a preacher, obviously. Uh, This woman didn't have an opportunity to do a lot of things that people could do today in serving the Lord. All she had was something she could give to him. It wasn't even anything that was commanded. This was voluntarily in her thoughts. Someone has said temporary achievement is temporary at best, and all too often we live simply for the temporal. But another person said eternal accomplishment is remembered forever. I want you to notice some things about the sacrifice of this lady in Matthew 26 and in Mark chapter 14. First of all, there's the demonstration. If you look in verse 3, it says, In being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. Now, Bethany was located at the foot of the Mount of Olives, just outside of the city of Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, just across the valley from the eastern gate. It was in the house of Simon the leper. Now, that's what he was. There's no doubt because obviously Jesus could not be there in the presence of the man and remain clean with the sacrifice coming up if the man was still a leper. This was a man that had no doubt been healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, No doubt they ate and they talked. And I have to wonder, you know, did Simon talk about that time when he met Jesus as a leper? And God healed him. But whatever talk was going on when this woman enters in with that ointment, with that box of ointment that she brought in, attention gets focused on her. God calls it a very precious ointment, very costly. As I said, perhaps worth a year's salary. She probably has it for her own burial, but now she's giving it to Jesus, pouring it out over him for his coming burial, which is a further evidence of the testimony he had already made that he was going to the cross of Calvary where he would die. Now, what did this say to Jesus? I'll tell you what it says to Jesus. It says that Jesus to this woman was very precious. You know, if when it comes to giving, whether it be in service or whether in an offering or whatever, we really say an awful lot in our giving about what we think of Jesus. And by the way, not giving also says a whole lot about what we think of Jesus. By not giving or giving little, we don't think much of him. We don't think he's worth it. Too many times in giving, people are simply giving to religion or they are giving to a church. It's another thing to realize that what I give, I give to him. I love him. And to me, there is none as precious as he is. I cannot give him too much, but I can sure give him too little. What is a value to you today? You know, we're funny creatures. You can look around us and see where we, for instance, spend our money. And we get a pretty good idea about what is valuable to us. It's amazing how stingy we get about many things. But then when our grandchildren come along, we're willing to blow it all on them. Have you ever noticed that? 
Why is it? Matter of fact, some things that we've been saving for and looking for, some things that we really want. Man, we're willing to put that on the back burner just to get that grandkid something that they really wanted. Why? Because they're valuable to us. You know, I never thought before we had grandchildren, I never thought it would be possible to love somebody else's children as much as I love my own. But boy, when that first grandchild came, and then the next, and the next, and I found, hey, it's pretty easy to love somebody else's children. I mean, the great thing is, I didn't have to whip them. (laughs) Hallelujah. Just said, parents, take care of it. Not my job. Amen. My job is to spoil them. So you have to work at unspoiling them. Amen. I mean, we'll knock ourselves out to please those that we highly esteem, those who are special in our sight. And it just seems like the thing to do. Why? Because of how we value them. This woman. I mean, Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. But she loves him. And she cannot give him too much or sacrifice too much for him. Now, understand when it comes to giving to Jesus, uh, we need to be biblical about this thing. This woman was not unbiblical. She was meeting a need whether she understood it or not. But you say, what do you mean being biblical about it? Well, you don't go out and buy a lottery ticket and bring it in and put it in the offering plate. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, God doesn't need to say, well, I think the church could really use the money if the thing wins. Of course, it reminds me of the story that bought two, one for himself and one for the church. And he waited until he heard the numbers before he gave the one to the church. And the one that won, he kept. Too bad, church lost that one. But wait a second. I don't want it. You get a winning lottery number, I don't, I don't want to know anything about it. Don't give it to me. Of course, it reminds me of the story of the older gentleman that was, that was he had a bad heart. He was in bad shape. He was in the hospital. And come to find out somebody else in the family had died and left the man several million dollars. And the family went to the preacher and said, Preacher, listen, Joe here has won. He's won several million dollars. And we don't know how to tell him. We're afraid that the news will cause him to have a heart attack and die himself. Can you break it to him, Pastor? And he said, Well, I think I could do that. And he went in. He said, Joe... Hey, what would you do if you ever got $5 million? And Joe said, well, preacher, I'd get half of it to you. Preacher died of a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't do him a bit of good. (laughs) By the way, for those who think in terms of, you know, publisher's clearinghouse and all this kind, listen, God doesn't need a lottery ticket to take care of his church. Amen. God can provide it very well without our schemes, but just having a giving heart of sacrifice to the Lord. So we see what took place, the demonstration. But then of all things, of all places for this to happen, there is the discouragement that takes place. For if you look in verse 4 of the story, and there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? Now, evidently, the discouragement that comes about doesn't come from the Sadducees. 
It doesn't come from the Pharisees. And when the scribes who may have been around saw it, we don't find them saying anything. But when the disciples saw it, this discouragement comes from them. As a matter of fact, earlier at the one at Mary and Martha and Lazarus's house, it was first of all Judas Iscariot who brought up the objection to what Mary had done in anointing Jesus with ointment. So they've already been set up for this, and now they see this woman make this sacrifice, and they're willing to complain about what she was giving to God. I can't tell you how many families I've met over the years who, although their other family members were professing Christians, they couldn't believe that the family members that were coming to our church actually came Sunday morning, Sunday night, and midweek service night. Well, come on now, isn't that a little much? And they try to discourage them from being faithful Christians to the house of God. Christians trying to discourage other Christians from being faithful to the house of God. But oh, how many times, what are you, part of a cult? What's wrong with you? You know, it's amazing how there are some people who will attend every baseball game of the trash pandas at home. And what benefit do they get out of that except spending $8 on a hot dog? Now, I don't know if it's $8. I've not been to a trash panda game. I'm not against a trash panda game. I'm not preaching against a trash panda game. I have to be careful because that'll be on Facebook before I get out of the building today. So you might wonder who the ringleader is, and he really doesn't tell us in this. It just says, and there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? His disciples saw it as a waste, just a waste. If this is a year salary for the average worker, what a waste to give it to Jesus. And by the way, no matter what it is that I may give, it's nobody's business. If I want to give everything I have to Jesus, I can just give everything to Jesus, and I don't really care what anybody else thinks about it. He gets it all. Well, preacher, don't you think you ought to look for the future? I remember when God called me to preach. This was back in 1974, the last Sunday in January 1974. And we had just built, I worked at WAOP radio station in Otsego, Michigan, just north of Kalamazoo. And God called me to preach then in January 74. And we had just built a, a three-bedroom rancher with a full car, two-car garage, and we had a full basement in it. By the way, back then, that big of a house cost us a grand total of $25,000 to build. That same house today would be worth a whole lot more money than that. We'd only been in it about three or four months. And so immediately, the next week, we put it up for sale. And we sold it for exactly what we paid for it. Now, we didn't have any money set aside. That, that was, at that time in our lives, we were basically living paycheck to paycheck, paying the bills and stuff like that. God called me to preach. We were getting ready to go off to school. I just wanted to get out from underneath the debt. And I remember having church members come to me and say, no, no Mike, don't sell the house. Don't sell the house. I mean, after all, you go down to Chattanooga to go to Bible college and it doesn't work. You need some place to come back to. I said, you don't understand. 
I'm not coming back. If God can't take care of me, then I guess I'll just have to go out trusting him. Uh, I'm not coming back. And we sold it and we left. I remember my in-laws when uh, they came up to see their granddaughter, Kathy. And uh, I said, uh, God's called me to preach. We're going off to Chattanooga, Tennessee to go to Bible college. And they were shocked. They looked at me with that look kind of like this. Uh, Really? Oh, that's nice. And you can see it in their eyes. What are you, you taking our granddaughter? Yeah. Well, where are you going to live? I don't have a clue. Where are you going to work? I don't know. God's called me to pre. He'll take care of all that. Now, by the way, that was about 70 pounds ago. I've done pretty well. I mean, really, God can take care of you. You just give yourself to him and he'll do it. Other people won't understand it when you surrender to the Lord. When you get sold out where you're just going to live for him, you're going to give for him, you're gonna, you want your life to count for God, you just have to understand that's the way people are. As a matter of fact, I remember my dad coming down when I graduated from uh, Tennessee Temple College in 1976. And uh, he brought his, his uh, second wife down with him. And uh, we, we spent a, a couple days. And I was still working a job and, of course, still was finishing up in school before I graduated, so we didn't get to spend a lot of time together. But on that Wednesday night, uh, they were getting ready to leave. I graduated on Tuesday night. And they were getting ready to leave on Wednesday night, so I thought I need to witness to him one more time. So I went through the plan of salvation with him. He didn't say anything. I got to the end of it. He didn't say anything. And then finally he just spoke up to his wife, and he said, time to go. So they got in the car to leave. Now, at that time, I was pastoring Pinewood Baptist Church in North Chattanooga. And it being Wednesday night, we were going to have to get ready to go out for me to preach at Pinewood Baptist Church. And Jan and I were both feeling sorry for ourselves. I mean, we love our parents. I loved all of our parents. We loved our family members. We'd like to have a good relationship with them. But they felt uncomfortable being around us because we'd surrendered our lives to Jesus. And since they were cursors and all that, you know, they, foul language was just part of their makeup. They didn't feel comfortable around us for fear that an ugly word would come out of their mouth or they'd use Jesus' name as a curse word, then they'd be embarrassed or that we'd start talking about Jesus and then they'd be embarrassed. Uh, It just really bothered them. So we got in our car to head out to church. They had already left. And we're both just really feeling sorry for ourselves. Like to have a good relationship with family, but we can't. And here's Kathy in the back seat. At that time, she was about three and a half, maybe four years old. And she starts singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Man, I start weeping. That's it. Though no one join me, still I will follow. 
Though no one join me, still I will follow. I know we got other servants of the Lord here. Remember that time when you surrendered to preach? And I don't have any doubt you probably had some family members that thought you had absolutely gone nuts. But you made a decision for Jesus and there was no turning back. That's the way that it has to be. And you would think some of them who were believers would do all that they could to encourage you instead of saying things to try to discourage you. Understand that sometimes the ringleaders of the discouragement may even be a pastor or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or some lay leader in a church. Ever notice how some people are quick to call you for going overboard with Jesus? Meanwhile, they'll run off to their football game and they'll take their shirt off and paint themselves the color of their favorite team and stand out there making idiots of themselves for a idiotic football team but if you say amen at church they're embarrassed to death you sing like you really mean it they're embarrassed to who you think you are you see by the way at madison baptist church our song service is not for america's got talent we want everybody to sing whether you can hit the notes or not we want you to sing and we want you to enjoy it because we're not singing to hear ourselves. We're singing to glorify the Lord. Amen. This would have created a mammoth discussion on Facebook had there been Facebook in that day. What do you think? Do you think it's right to give a whole year's wage to Jesus just to anoint it and it's gone and that's it? This one event, that's it? Hey, if it's for Jesus... Who cares how long it lasts? Jesus remembers, and that's enough. People complain about bus ministries. I've heard people say, but you can't build a church on bus kids. No, but by reaching bus kids, we're doing what Jesus told us to do, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. By the way, I don't find anything in the Bible where a six-foot soul is worth more than a three-foot soul. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We're not trying to build a kingdom here or a gigantic palace or anything like that. We are here with the purpose of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here you've got this discouragement being put out by his disciples, and Jesus is quick to run to her defense. Because after all, the only opinion that really matters in this whole thing is the opinion of Jesus. What does he say about it? And it gives us a pretty good idea. Look at verse 6. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. Evidently, some of them were saying it loud enough for her to hear. Why are you troubling her? What she did, she did for me. What have you got to do with it? Well, we all think that our, our opinion is the most important thing and has to be heard. The scripture says, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant to his own master? He standeth or falleth. I'm reminded of the story I read many years ago. Uh, Transworld Radio was founded back in about 1954. Paul Freed was the guy who started it. They had a small station that they started. Their first station was in Morocco. And his goal was to get the gospel to people in Spain. At that time, 
Protestants couldn't broadcast in Spain. That was under Franco back in the 1950s. And uh, so they'd started it down in Morocco with everything pointed towards Spain to get the gospel out. Where over the years, they added different radio stations, including some stations that were over 500,000 watts. Today, they broadcast in over 200 different languages around the world. But back in the 1960s, Paul Freed made a trip to Poland. And he was taken to the house of a dear lady in one of the churches there in Poland. And uh, she had heard the broadcast in Polish, but they were only able to get a broadcast that was just for like 15 minutes long at that time. And she asked Paul Freed the question. She said, why don't you have more broadcast in Polish? He said, ma'am, you have to understand, it costs money to do that. We have to get translators and people that can speak the language. Right now, this is all we can afford. And she said, well, if money's the problem, here, I'll help with that. And she went over to her bookcase, reached down behind a book, pulled out an envelope, and she handed it to him. He opened it up to look inside, and it was just a few small bills. It probably wasn't even worth $5 total. And he realized she had probably been saving this for a long time. And he looked at the woman, and he said to her, figuring this is probably all that she had. And he said, I can't take this. She said, you have to. I didn't give it to you. I gave it to God. You have to take it. See, it's not the amount in dollars. God has a way of taking care of all that. I'm reading the autobiography of George Mueller, that man who started those orphanages over in Bristol, England, and he did it all on prayer. He never sent out one time that he had a need, not one time. And God just provided over and over again a total of nine orphanages that were run just simply on prayer. What a great work that was done for the glory of God and the sacrifice of God's people. So Jesus says this is a good work. She's done a good work. Giving to Jesus and his work is a good work, and that's always so. By the way, at Madison Baptist Church, we don't keep it. We keep sending it out there. Last year, this church gave almost a million dollars to missions. What do you do? We just send it out. It's given for missions. It goes for missions. Well, hallelujah. That's what we're about. Nobody here is getting rich. Or if they are, I don't know about it. We need to check them out real fast. (laughs) Faulty reasoning here. Notice in verse 5, for it might have been sold for more than 300 pence. This this is what the disciples were saying. It had been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. But isn't Christ concerned about the poor? Surely Jesus would want it to go to the poor. No, he needed to be anointed for his burying, and that's what this is for. That's right. There is a spiritual significance here. It makes no sense to the disciples. Look at verse 7. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. He's not dead yet. They're eating together. Why does he need something for burial? They don't get it yet. 
It seemed like they constantly didn't get what Jesus said. Even though he told them what was going to take place, they never seemed to get it. Now they'll get it later on when they're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God and he brings all things to remembrance. You look at verse 9 and it says, Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that, is, that hath been done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. This will be talked about from now on, Jesus said. But understand this, she didn't do it for that. Until Jesus said it, she would have had no idea that this would continually be talked about year after year. I'll guarantee you that there are many places probably in the world this morning as I'm preaching that are talking about this same gal. She didn't have a clue, did she? But Jesus commends her for what she had done. I'm reminded of a story about a little girl by the name of Hattie Mae Wyatt. Lived in Philadelphia, and there was a pastor, Comwell, who, uh, Russell Comwell of Grace Baptist Church in Philadelphia in 1912. He told the story, but the story actually goes back into the 1880s, about 1886. She lived real close to the church. At that time, the church was rather small. There wasn't a whole lot to it. And uh, she wanted to walk inside the church. She heard the songs coming from inside. She wanted to sing the songs. She wanted to learn about God. She wanted to worship Jesus. But she was afraid because she was alone and her clothes weren't very nice. Kind of shabby and unkempt. And because they had had such big attendance in that small church, they got to the place where they were having to pass out tickets to people. And when a certain number of tickets were done, then they couldn't let any more people in. And she hadn't gotten a ticket. Pastor was walking into the building and he saw the little girl outside and she was crying. He said, why are you crying? She said, I want to go in. I, I want to sing the songs, but I don't have a ticket. I can't get in. And so he picked her up and he walked her in and he took her to a little Sunday school room and he sat her down in the corner so that she could participate with the other people and the the other kids that were in the Sunday school building that was there. They needed new facilities desperately. Well, Pastor Comwell said the little girl's name was Hattie Mae Wyatt when he told the story. And she lived near the church where the Sunday school was very crowded and told her that one day, hopefully before too long, they'd have buildings big enough so that any little girl that wanted to come or any little boy would be able to come. Well, Hattie Mae got sick and she died. He was asked to do the funeral. And when the funeral was over, the mother came to Pastor Comwell with a little pouch And said, Pastor, Hattie Mae was saving for you so that you could have a a bigger Sunday school building and that more kids could come. And she handed it to him. Inside was 57 cents. Now, in 1886, that wasn't an easy feat for a little girl from a poor house to have been able to put aside that kind of money. He turned it into 57 pennies. 
And when he told the story, he auctioned off each penny, and that ended up bringing $250. With that $250, now this lets you know how much money was worth back then, they were able to buy a house right there in the neighborhood, 250 bucks. And all of that came from the 57 cents. Well, the people who bought the pennies, 54 of them turned those pennies back into the pastor and he put them on display. Now, here's the, that church grew, got rather big. As a matter of fact, that church began, first started having classes for what they called Temple College. Later, it became Temple University. Now, today, it's not a Christian college at all. But back then, it was something that was started by that Baptist church. Out of that also came the Good Samaritan Hospital, which is now the Temple University Hospital. All of that began because of one little girl setting aside a penny here, a penny there, so that she could give it to Jesus so that more boys and girls could go to Sunday school. And it ended up being turned into so much more than that. Sometimes we think, you know, I don't have that much. What can I do? I'll tell you, best way to do it is just give it to Jesus. I think about the little boy that was part of that crowd where 5,000 were fed, 5,000 men. And all that little boy had was some loaves and some fishes. And Jesus multiplied it and took care of everybody. What a marvelous God we have. Think about this. This woman still remembered today. And all she did was take her most precious possession. She broke it and poured it out over Jesus. And Jesus says she has done what she could. I can't do near as much as what other people could do, but I can do what I can do. You may not be able to do what other people can do. And whether it's service for the Lord, whether it's in giving or other things, but you can do what you can do. Do you love Jesus enough to do what you can do? You see, he's precious to me because I know what he did when he saved a sinner like me. Mike Allison, as every human being is, a sinner deserving hell. But thank God he went to the cross, he paid my sin debt, He rose from the dead three days later, and in 1971, in the fall of the year, I found Christ as my Savior. He gave me eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, and then called me to have an opportunity to preach and serve Him. Hallelujah. I love Him today. And I think He deserves to get from me whatever I can do. So what are you giving Him today? How will you be remembered in your service for God? Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Dear God, deal with hearts. First of all, the most important thing is that a person be saved. If there's someone here that's never truly been born again, may the Spirit of God make plain to them that they are sinners in the sight of God, that Christ died on the cross to pay for their sins, and three days later he rose up from the dead. And will give them eternal life and the forgiveness of sins if they'll come to Jesus today. We pray that there'd be some who come to Christ. Lord, believers, some are just kind of floating along in their Christian life.
And one day they plan on doing something. Lord, I pray today there'd be some people who would surrender to you for whatever it would be. It might be get involved in a ministry. It might be to help out in Sunday school or ushering or helping in a nursery, working on a bus route to help bring boys and girls in to hear the gospel of Christ. It might be in the matter of giving that you're dealing with someone's heart about that. But Lord, whatever it is, you just have your way. And if we value our Lord Jesus as we should, then like this woman, we'll do what we can do. Have your way in lives today, I pray in Jesus' name.